You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Ascot Week is here. It's Tuesday, the 14th of June. I'm standing on the third floor of the cavernous grandstand at Ascot, looking straight down the mile. It is the most beautiful day. There isn't a cloud in the sky. It's going to be like this all week. It's just quite magical. Racing Post senior writer Lee Mottishead is alongside me. There's not a breath of wind. We're up already into the low 70s, I'd say, Lee. This is the stuff. You couldn't script it any better, could you? For the first Royal Ascot in, in three years when we'll have full crowds and anyone who wants to go can attend uh, when we have a meeting that opens with the best racehorse in the world on figures, when the, the second joint highest-rated horse in the world goes against a superstar rival from America, he represents Australia in the third race, when we've got a, a brilliant three-year-old taking part in the in St James's Palace States, Caribus, magnificent two-year-olds, a competitive handicap. You couldn't have a, a better day for it. As you say, there's not a breath of, of wind in the sky. Uh, it's beautifully warm, but it's not going to be too hot. Uh, it's going to be magnificent. The only sound you can hear, other than, other than Lee and me, is a, a cocker spaniel who's one of the um, one, one of the police dogs. They're always combing the place every morning of Royal Ascot. You come at this time. He's getting very vocal, isn't he? I hope he hasn't found anything suspicious. Well, not with us anyway. No, we're, we're, <laughs> not we're, up here. We're completely fine. I've got paracetamol in my bag, and, and that is the only thing he could possibly quibble over. Nothing in the honesty box. What I want, to, what I want to know from you is your honest opinion of how this sprint matchup is going to is going to shake down between Golden Pal and Nature Strip, or whether it's more complicated than that. In theory, it shouldn't be more complicated than that. Um, I think, in theory, they're both drawn towards the middle of the track. I think they will probably form a an arrowhead formation to an extent, anyway, uh, and lead the rest. Um, trailing certainly through the first half of the race I don't imagine that any horse will go quicker than Golden Pal through that, that first half of the contest Nature Strip is a very very fast horse probably only just fractionally slower than, than Golden Pal in terms of natural pace but there's not much point in him taking on Golden Pal in those in those early stages I guess the, the big question facing Irad Ortiz is how quick do you go he knows that, that Golden Pal, if he's whizzing around the bends of Del Mar in a Breeders' Cup turf sprint, is uncatchable. But he also knows that in two starts in Britain, including one here, he hasn't lasted home. Does he utilise what is Golden Pal's greatest asset, that brazen speed that could have him opening up a huge lead in relatively no time at all? Or does he try and hold on to a little bit? mindful that this is a, a much more stamina laden thousand meters than he is used to and by doing so potentially negate the horse's uh, best quality i think for james mcdonald it's an easier it's an easier tactical mission unless i guess golden pal does go off uh, at incredible speed and, and then he has to think how close do i sit to it i think tactically it, it's it is fascinating uh, and i just genuinely hope 
that these two superstar international horses, and they really are superstar international horses, we're not over-egging it. These are probably the two fastest horses in the world, the two best sprinters in the world in all probability. I hope they run to form, and I hope they absolutely muller the British and Irish horses, because this is the greatest international festival that we get in this country, and we want these horses to shine. I'm biased, Nick. I particularly hope the Nature Strip goes by Golden Pal in the final stages and, and goes and wins. I think because it'd be great to see an Aussie winner here for the first time in 10 years. And Chris Waller, in my opinion, I'm sure in yours as well, yeah. is whatever he says himself. He is one of the greatest trainers in the world. He deserves to have a Royal Ascot victory on his CV. Um, and I think Nature Strip does as well. But he's got the might of Wesley Ward against him, who's trained... Royal Ascot winners well into double figures now and bear in mind he only started in 2009 when Strike the Tiger came over to give him his first two-year-old winner in the Windsor Castle. I caught up with him first thing this morning around about 7.30 he was just walking off the track and uh, this is what he had to say. You know we're ready to go and the horses are all doing well all five for the week especially today with the big horse Golden Pal Um, but we're ready. How is Golden Pal? How do you read the race? How do you see it panning out? Uh, well, for me, he's just going to be break and be gone. And, uh, and then it's just a question of, uh, if he can sustain, you know, when you got speed, you go to the lead and, uh, that's what we're going to do. I mean, is it just put the hammer down and go as fast as you can, or are there places where Irad is going to have to conserve because he might be on fumes the last hundred yards? I don't think he's going to be on fumes. I think he's, uh, you know, we, our, our greatest asset is, is the first few jumps out of the gate where he can kind of quicken and get away from him and then he'll he'll have plenty of time to to get him to ease up and hopefully prick his ears and and get him to relax and uh save him for the final furlong so you think he can stretch it i really do i think he's uh, you know it's uh doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to ride this or i mean uh, to figure it out you just uh you know you just kind of want to let him break and get, and get the first easy half mile and then uh, and then we got an eighth of a mile to go and and keep running but he's one of the few horses if only horse I've ever trained that, that, that has just a extreme high cruising speed and can sustain. Usually sprinters, they go fast early, you pay for it late, but not with this guy. I don't know, having talked to you now, I feel a, a bit more confident about you and a bit, a bit less confident about Nature Strip. How do you feel about this idea of the best American sprinter, the best Australian sprinter, the two best sprinters in the world meeting here at Royal Ascot? I think it's, it's, this is what racing's all about. To be here at such an opulent place... Uh, with the best horses competing and jockeys and trainers and owners and everybody wanting to win and to have a race of this quality with the best two turf sprinters in the world in the race, you know, this is, this is what it is. Why'd you go with Irad? He knows the horse and he's undefeated on the horse. And, um, you know, as I said, it, it, a jockey really doesn't really on this particular horse, what matters is to get him to relax. And he seems to have done that in all of his races. He's rode him. So I just think that, you know, if we can take advantage of the break and then maybe uh, get him to the center of a course with no outside pressure uh, to where that he can kind of click off the first ne- next few furlongs or first 40 seconds easy. And then, you know, the last uh, t- 15 seconds, he'll be he'll be set down for the drive. So it's uh, I'm really looking forward to today. I, I've never had a horse come into a race like this. And so I'm ready. Wow. Wow. I just wanted to quick word on the two year olds. I mean, it looks to me like Love Reigns has just got a great chance. She won by nine and a quarter lengths at Keeneland. It's there for everyone to see. You've got a great record in the Queen Mary. Is there a horse you're running this week that has had less play than he or she ought to have had? You know, she's done everything right from her race, in her race, and then from her race, um, she's had three beautiful works at Keeneland, as um, 
my other Queen Mary winners have had and other winners have had. Uh, no issues. You know, a lot of two-year-olds are dealing with shins or what have you. She has no physical issues, whatever. Uh, no breathing issues. Um, so she's, you know, should be no excuses. Um, so we're just, uh, you know, with the, with the weather the way it is today, it, it really plays into our hand as well. All right. Good luck, Wes. Thank you very much, Nick. Well, you don't expect glass half empty from Wesley Ward, that's for sure. But Lee Motta said that was a that was a real expression of confidence in Golden Pal. He can't believe the horse isn't isn't odds on. And I, I know people go yawn yawn. Well, he's always confident, but there was an intensity toward this morning. I thought that was just a little bit more considered and and had a little bit more depth than you know the round of media interviews that he has to do yeah, and enjoys doing during Royal Ascot. Yeah, I think those trainers who are by by their nature enthusiastic and optimistic trainers, it is hard to to gauge from what they say what they actually think the horse is going to going to do. But you do sense from everything that, that Wesley has said in the build up to this race that he genuinely believes that it will be third time lucky for Golden Pal in Great Britain. But I guess against that, the facts are that on the figures he isn't as good a horse as Nature Strip and he has been twice beaten here and for all that um, there might have been reasons for that and we can expect a different performance today it still is a a mountain he hasn't yet climbed which adds an extra nuance of interest to the race and I'd say as well whatever you think of those trainers like Wesley and Gay Waterhouse who we'll be talking about later on um, who go into races saying all the all the right words giving it all the um, the big I am to an extent maybe I think that's a good thing for the sport you know I think we want to hear people enthused going into a race they might not always be right but it's far more engaging for the audience to listen to people like Wesley Ward and Gay Waterhouse really singing the praises of the horses before a race and hearing someone who might give us two sentences yeah I would, I would agree with that we're going to get a quick rankings blast now from James Willoughby. James, I know it's not Friday, but today is a very important day for a whole raft of reasons. Day one of Royal Ascot with all the best horses on show, but also we've got updates from the weekend. It's all going haywire. Yeah, I think this is just about the most exciting point I can remember in my lifetime in international racing. And the reason for that is a raft of established stars from last year have reasserted their merit. But goodness me, some true Galacticos have emerged over the last month or so and today nick at ascot we see whether baid number one nature strip number four or golden pal number 16 as well as caribus and others can move up those rankings that king stand stakes nick some are saying some handicappers this is mad mad mutually assured destruction on the front end in the king stand between these two super fast speed balls from across the world Ward and I have just spoken and everybody on this pod has just heard him say that this isn't complicated. You just get out there and use his speed. I'm saying, right, where do you take a breather and all this? He's like, stop overcomplicating it. And he thinks he thinks his horse should be four to six. Well, he, he, he has got absolutely no idea about Australian form if that's really the case because Nature Strip is a true global star. He's won 10 group races, eight group ones, and he's better than ever this year according to our figures and whilst the stiff track would seem to offer the average Australian horse a bit of a problem considering they run on flat surfaces mostly down there this horse I think really will it will be suited by because he stays six furlongs he can take a lead as well he won't be that bothered 
I think, if, uh, well, there's a lot of pace on, particularly headed by Golden Pal. Let's see what he can do. Game on. It might even set up for a horse coming from behind. And just as we recap what we were saying last Friday, if Nature Strip loses and Baid wins, Baid goes further clear at the top. If Baid loses and Nature Strip wins and defeats Golden Pal and Co., does that automatically leapfrog Baid, do you think? Yeah, and I think there's another scenario as well. If Baid wins unimpressively and Nature Strip wins twice, I think he'll, he'll usurp Baid as well because that's a very, that will mean that Nature Strip's form, unlike Baid's, is globally sound. Basically, he's beaten everywhere, everyone, everywhere, in effect. One of the most exciting global matchups I can remember today. Uh, but the Thoroughbred Racing Commentary global rankings are already, as I said, into, into overdrive, James, off the back of what happened at Belmont Park last weekend with not one, two, maybe even three superstar performances. Yeah, I'm just, I'd, I'd put it at three. I'm just coming down from watching that spectacular meeting, uh, Nick, and it really was some tremendous stuff. And to recap very quickly, we've got a new number one Breeders' Cup Classic horse in flight line. Ranking's a little slow to catch up on this, but more cautious after his first win. But now, following the Metropolitan Mile, in which he stumbled at the start and still absolutely hacked up, the computer has given that performance 127 and upgraded his Malibu stakes win to 130, making him number five in the world. And significantly, that's a slot ahead of life is good who's on the sidelines and was the uh, presumptive Breeders' Cup Classic uh, favourite before Flightline really strutted his stuff. But Nick, we've got a new world number one three-year-old. And if you haven't seen the Woody Stevens stakes of Belmont, well, I encourage oh. you to, to YouTube it. Because you will not see all year a more impressive winner than Jack Crispin. How shrewd are those Coolmore boys who bought into him, I think, after his maiden win. He's now unbeaten after four. Just to recap, he won a grade one at over a mile last year at two. So even, the, even though the Woody Seams was a seven-phone race, and he looks like a sprinter in that, well, he could stretch out a little bit yet. And he sits at number 11, and the third horse to which you referred, well, TRC rankings favourite, Mo Donegal. He's got to go above early voting. He beat that horse um, in the Wood Memorial. Early voting went on to win the Preakness. Early voting at 21, Mo Donegal at 18, after his, after his uh, Belmont win, and that's just a slot behind our Derby winner, Desert Crow. Absolutely stunning stuff, James. Thank you so much. We'll speak later in the week. Have a great day. Uh, James Willoughby there with a quick rankings blast. Today's going to be an important day in determining who stays at 1-2 and who perhaps creeps into the top 10. Uh, we open up with Baid Lee. I can't see any reason why this horse isn't just going to counter down and counter back. No, I mean, the only way that Baid can possibly be beaten in this Queen Anne Stakes is, I guess, two reasons. One is if he massively underperforms. And don't forget, he can underperform to quite a considerable degree and still win. Or if, for, for whatever reason, there's some sort of tactic, tactical disaster through the race and he gets hemmed in and can't get out. But in a, in a seven-runner field, mm. it seems highly unlikely that that could happen. So I think... We are expecting him to win, and as everybody has been saying in all the previews, there'll be two Royal Processions at Royal Ascot today, one before the race and one in the first race. It's now do again. you have to say that now before, before you get going. And now, have you got any steer as to whether Her Majesty may attend at any point this week? I mean, I did talk to John Warren yesterday, there was still no official announcement on that. We, we realised at the Derby that no decision was made right till the last minute that she definitively wouldn't come. No, I don't know, Nick, I don't know. Um, no steer. All we hear is what you hear that Buckingham Palace will, uh, well, the, the Queen will decide with Buckingham Palace on the day and take it day by day. But one thing we know is she won't be in any royal processions this week. 
I think realistically for a, a lady of her age who has mobility issues, it doesn't take a, a transport genius to work out that getting in and out of a, of a carriage wouldn't be the easiest thing in the world. I'm pleased that we still will have a, a royal procession though, because we shouldn't forget that whilst you and I are wildly excited about the King's Stand Stakes and we might even be able to spend half an hour talking about the Wolferton, for most people who come here, well, for a lot of people who come here, it's not just about the racing. It might not be about the racing at all. It's about the pomp. It's about the pageantry. It's about seeing that gorgeous royal procession coming down the race course. And it is about hopefully seeing the Queen. And everyone who comes here over those five days will be hoping that they are one of the lucky ones who get to share this stage with Her Majesty. It's funny. I, I've never been to the Henley Regatta before. Um, which is a great part of the British summer season. I suppose this is where the traditional British summer season begins today here at Royal Ascot. And I got invited for the first time this year, so we're going on, on June the 30th. And on the WhatsApp group, the friends who invite us, who are very keen, um, you know, rowing enthusiasts and would go every year and have a kind of uh, history in the, in the sport, sent us, sent us on the WhatsApp, we will be in X place, we will be in Y tent, we will be drinking Z champagne, and occasionally we will totter outside to look at some boats. And I wondered really, and it sort of made me think, well, of course, that's the way most, most people come to the races, isn't it? We'll occasionally totter out to see some horses, which are very, very enjoyable, but you've got to grip them somehow. Yeah, and it is what it is, Nick. And I, 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 for years, um, I had this inner anger and frustration that um, so many people who were at this place, at this meeting, weren't really watching the racing, weren't engaged with it. But it wasn't like Cheltenham, where everybody moves in the same direction because you're going from the paddock to the betting ring to the grandstands and then to the winner's enclosure and then the cycle gets repeated. This is different. But I think you then come to accept that its glory is that it is different mm. and that it is it is that, that My Fair Lady Gavotte scene. It is everyone who should be here is here. It is that sort of event um, and it wouldn't be what it is if it wasn't for people wearing silly dresses, mm. if it wasn't for people dressed up like you and I are now, like, like Fagin from Oliver, you know, it's, and it is, a, it, it is a bit galling if you're in the grandstand and you can't see the finish of the Windsor Castle because the person in front of you has got a ginormous hat on his or her head, but it is what it is. And I've got to be honest, Nick, having been one of those people that resented it for years, I now love the dressing up bit as well. Absolutely. You know, our colleague Dave Yates. I can, I can, he, I can tell. Yeah, well, he, he I, just, I had... I'm just going to have to paint the picture for yeah, you. Yeah, uh, yeah. Lee today is in what I would call traditional morning traditional, dress. Yes. A black morning coat, yes. a very smart pair of grey yes. strides with a sort of a, an inch or so between the, the, the narrower stripes. He's wearing a, a cream waistcoat, which is um, single-breasted, uh, yeah. a, a little bit of... Uh, what you would call sort of elegant embroidery, some filigree, filigree design, yes, nice, yes. and uh, 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 how would I describe the tie? Um, blues, reds, and yellows in uh, in diagonal checks. Yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah, mm. I mean, you basically if if the BBC returned to this this mm. festival, they wouldn't want James I, Sherwood. Exactly. They would want I was, yourself. I was, they would. I was about to say I was channeling my inner James Sherwood, but you get arrested for that kind of thing. Uh, you'd, you'd have called me some very very different <laughs> things if you, if you were doing that. Yeah, I, I love the dressing up now. I, I love I love the fact I've got a top hat that goes back a hundred or so years that our colleague Dave Yates reupholstered for me uh, last year. And I think if you if you actually sort of accept that that is part of this great festival. And if you actually embrace it, it becomes so much more enjoyable. Um, yes, it's a bit difficult if you have to stop at a Tesco Express on the way home. 
um, to, to get a bit of something. But aside from that, it's just fabulous. Out here on the track Tuesday morning, so many parts go into making this meeting what it is. Barry Oldman's one of three full-time farriers who work the whole week here at Ascot. Barry, you're probably here earlier than anybody else. Um, one of your busiest weeks of the year? Yeah, it is. I've uh, been here since Sunday. The Americans arrived half two on Sunday and I'm here till the following Sunday until they go home. How would this week differ from your normal day-to-day work? Oh, it's uh, just unbelievable. But we've got horses in the yard, then I come up to the paddock and we do... Uh, and he lose a shoe there, we put the shoe back on there. We've got someone at the start and we've got someone down at the stables as well. So with 24 hours, the horses are getting looked after and make sure there's any problems. I'm here this morning in case one loses a shoe on the course or he can't walk back to the stable yard. Mm. I've got my um, pinches here to sort the job out and, yeah, they're well looked after and cared for. Everybody knows the old adage, no foot, no horse. It's so crucial, particularly coming to a meeting like this. Uh, how do you find looking after the international contenders? Because farriery is subtly different in different parts of the world, isn't it? Yeah, they are. Um, we have our regulations where you can't have anything um, more than so many centimetres off the, the place. Uh, yesterday I had to rasp one of the American horses because he had grabs on. Mm-hmm. And, and on the dirt they just, used Just explain grabs. that for people who wouldn't be familiar. Yeah, it's... Um, they have like a grab on the front which is raised raised about um well just less than half an inch and but you're not allowed in this country so i had to rasp those grabs off mm-hmm. so the plate is level with the with the shoe right otherwise that horse wouldn't be able to run under vha regulation that's right in this country they won't know so that's your responsibility to make sure that the trainers know that that's right yeah and do you find yourself sort of getting involved in the in the sport do you find yourself you're rooting for horses, cheering for horses that you developed a, a particular affinity with? Yeah, definitely, yeah. When I've done a few that I've put the shoe on or whatever, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, because then it makes it all worthwhile, like you've done a good job and, and it goes and wins, and I've had a few of those over the years. Is there, is there one that stands out for you? Um, one of Wesley's Lady Aurelia, mm-hmm. um, that, that was a good one. And then, to say, the Grand National was Hedgehunter. Mm-hmm. I shot Hedgehunter when he won the, for Willie Mullins. Yeah, so, yeah. I was, I was made up and it was Trevor Hemmings' first winner, so I was, I was made up with that. I had, part, had something to do with that, yeah. And what, what about this afternoon? Anything that you've, uh, you've been looking after today that we should look out for? Um, no, the, the one, Seismic Spirit, I, that, that was the one that had the grabs on. Um, I had to do a job on that. That runs tomorrow. And well but, behaved when you did that? Yeah, very well behaved. Good. They're all well behaved, yeah. So uh, let's just hope for a good week and we don't get many losing shoes. Good man. We're safe in your hands, Barry. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. Cheers. All right, day one Royal Ascot. World pool every day, of course. Um, some fields plenty big enough to, to attract world pool punters as well. Jamie Hart's with us. Jamie, what are you most looking forward to today? I think it's the first day we get some real proper international action, isn't it? We've got the Americans, the Australians in the King stand. It's going to be fantastic. I think it's going to be interesting what the Whirlpool makes favourite in that race, whether they side with Golden Pal or whether they side with Nature Strip. So I think that's probably the highlight of the day for me. Of course, for the purists, we've all got we're all looking forward to seeing what Bayid does in the first. But for a punting man like myself, I love those more competitive races. But but isn't that where the the exotics come in? You know, Baid is a completely no, complete no bet race for most fixed odds, you know, traditional UK punters. But surely, if you're looking for a horse to finish second or third, you know, box them up. Isn't that where Whirlpool comes on to, comes into its own? 
absolutely. So with, with Baye particularly, um, I'd be looking around the trifectas and mixing a few things up there. I think um, the other one is looking for the um, swinger, so the second and third, but you get second and third in all first and third, all first and second. The swinger's picking two in the first three. Um, so that's another one to play. One thing to bear in mind, though, because we saw it at, uh, Derby, at Derby and Oaks in, in uh, Epsom, that out in Hong Kong, a lot of the guys, when they don't know what to go for, they'll put field in. They'll just tick the field. So quite often, when you've got a 150 to 1 uh, chance, it's probably backed almost as much as a 25 to 1 chance in those pools. So sometimes there's more value around the 20 to 1 chances than there is around the 150 to 1 chances. So just bear that in mind when you are playing against Bayed. If you just put field, field, you, you know, two big outsiders come in, you probably won't make as much on the pool as you would do on, on a straight bookmaker bet. But on every, if you're backing on the second or third favourite with it, you probably will make more. Oh, now, my theory is that if you want to back Golden Pal, you want to be backing him on the Whirlpool because I think they're going to heavily favour Nature Strip because of the Eastern Hemisphere bias. That's a, that's a devil. We do have Americans betting in. It's not, a, it's not at the best time of day for them. Uh, but there will be some Americans betting in. But, of course, the, the weight of the Whirlpool is heavily Eastern biased. So, so I, I think you could be right. All right. What about our competition today, Jamie? Yeah, so we're all through every day of every whirlpool day, we run a betting competition. It's free to opt in. All you have to do is place some bet, you know, place bets over the day. Minimum of three bets for a total outlay of at least a tenner, and you qualify. All you have to do, the top ten people go through to the fifty grand whirlpool series end of end of year champion of champions winner takes all fifty grand competition. But on the day, if you beat our man Jamie Benson on profit, so if you make a profit, you make a bigger profit than Jamie Benson and I must admit so far this year he has lost on the first three World Pool days so all you'd have to do is make we had one person they made 18 pence profit on their 12 quids worth of bets and qualified for a 42 quid um, dividend so that you, well, you opt into that keep an eye on our social channels for, for where Jamie Benson is if you're opted in we'll keep on keeping you up to date anyway but it's quite an interesting thing to do over the day you sit there you watch how Jamie Benson's doing as long as you, you're in profit you've made more than him you'll get a divvy on top yep so it's a question of benson and hedges if you want to um if you want if you want to win the competition today jamie hart thank you very much no problem Nick. jamie hart there from the totes on this week's world pool and the competition that you can enter there's so many ways you can get involved in royal ascot this week and we on the podcast have been teaming up with our friends at my racehorse Dot com who are offering shares in Maymar, who runs in tomorrow's Windsor Castle, stakes £128 and 0.02% of a Royal Ascot runner is yours. Just visit the website myracehorse.com for more details. And so back to the racing, Lee Mottishead still with me up here on the third floor of the press room balcony. What a, just what a day. Just, just a, uh, a commercial liner there coming out of Heathrow. I don't know why you'd want to leave the country on a day like this. It is, honestly, it is absolutely stunning. I mean, if you are happening to listen to this, somewhere it's grey and rainy, we apologise. You're going to hate us. Yeah, but this is just the most fabulous day. And, you know, it's not always like this here. I mean, I remember it was the Friday here last year when, of course, we only had a maximum of 12,000 people. But I spent the morning... Uh, making repeated phone calls to Chris Stickles as monsoon rain descended on the place as we squelched around a grey ascot thinking would racing even take place. This place can be very much the extremes. 
um, but it's marvellous today. It's going to get hotter as the week goes on as well. I mean, by Friday, 30-odd degrees, which will raise that question for the executive yeah. here of what do they do. I remember the last really, really hot day uh, here, and it obviously was, must have been before uh, COVID. From what I remember, they didn't they didn't change the dress code in that no announcement was made that gentlemen could w- remove their jackets and hats, but they didn't police the dress code. No. So there's no precedent for the dress code yeah. not being in, not being in place. They just didn't necessarily enforce it. I think today you will have to wear your hat if you're coming here. On Friday, if it gets to 30 degrees, they might look generous. No, I don't, I'm not sure that they will, you know. No, I think 30 I'm degrees sure is still... It'll be, it'll be Her Majesty's call, of course, even if she's not actually present on the grounds. Um, just looking right down at 12 o'clock here toward the, the furthest point on the race course you can see, which is the, the old mile start down by, by Swinley Bottom, just behind those trees, Lee. I spent five formative years of my life at school. Did you really? I did, yeah, from 7 till 13. What happened during Royal Ascot Week? Well, I'll tell you what, you know this, what happened during Royal Ascot Week. They used to get us in our Peter Storm Royal Blue Cagoules, oh. right, in your, in your little shorts, and then we'd be paraded across the heath, and we'd stand in what wasn't an occupied area, really, but I think is now called the Windsor Enclosure, right, is it? Okay, on yeah. the inside yeah. of the track yeah. there. And uh, we'd stand as the Royal Procession came past, and we'd wave to the Queen and whatever, and, and the guests would wave to us. And I would always remember it was raining. Right. Um, and then, just as the runners came out onto the track for the first race, we'd be we'd be escorted back <laughs> to school. It was absolutely brutal. It was torture, torture being there for five years, boarding as well. They used to make us do cross country runs in the heath while racing was going on. Well, do you know, although most people won't get to have that life experience on their CV. The, the great thing about this place, obviously not during a, a meeting like this, but on a normal day, you can rock up at Ascot, you can go through one of the far entrances, go through the tunnel, um, which is normally adorned with some great uh, pictures on the walls by, by local schools, horse racing pictures, which are really good. And then you come out in the middle of the track by a nice coffee stand, and you can actually walk around the the infield of, of Ascot Racecourse, and you will you will grasp that this is not a flat track. It's the greatest flat race course in the world, the most famous flat race course in the world, but it is not flat. What That point that you mentioned, Nick, Swinley Bottom, uh, where you entered the racetrack from school, from that point onwards, all the way around to the winning post, pretty much, the, the, the track that Caribus will tackle in the St. James's Palace Stakes, you are climbing almost all the way, dips slightly maybe in the final half furlong or so, but it is a proper test. Um, and it's a very different sort of test, certainly than the international horses are used to, but also a horse like Caribus has never yeah. experienced anything like this before. And, and he'll, be, he'll be a hostage to fortune. He may well be classy enough to get himself out of it, but he's going to have to drop in from stall two and, and ride his luck. It's such a short stretch as well. When you stand high up in the grandstand, you realise how little time jockeys have got to sort themselves up on the round course. That's right. And we, we all, we've all seen countless races here on that round course where jockeys have got into all sorts of trouble the great Leicester Piggott um, as, as that kid who just won the derby um, received a monster suspension um, here at Royal Ascot a few weeks later um, Walter Swinburne uh, in the year he won the derby on Shergar picked up a huge suspension at Royal Ascot and missed the ride on Shergar in the Irish derby Frankie de Tory um, on Stradivarius mm-hmm. in the Gold Cup last year found himself just shuffled back through the field and then with far too much to do uh, what is by our standards a relatively short home straight and Caribus drawn two 
in the St James's Palace stakes, it's almost certain that William Butte will have to drop him in and try and utilise that that searing turn of foot he's got. But you can't use a searing turn of foot if your horse is facing three horses' bottoms in yeah. front of him. Now, that's an unusually big field for the St James's yeah. Palace. Let's celebrate that in an era where we discuss small fields so often. Five only in the Tomorrow's Prince of Wales and seven only in today's Queen Anne. OK, nobody wanted to take on Baid, but it's been pointed out by plenty that there are only two British-trained horses in Tomorrow's uh, Prince of Wales estates. Is that something we need to be overly worried about? Well, it certainly fits the narrative that we've been talking about of an excess of, of very good horses. Having said that, that excess has tended to be at sort of listed group three, maybe group two level we haven't really been talking about losing the group one horses i think maybe it's just one of those years i mean don't forget the prince of wales estates once upon a time albeit when it was a, a group two there was a year where they had only three runners mm-hmm. here uh, in one running i don't think you can base too much on that particular edition this year that said there are going to be some races here with small fields you mentioned the queen anne has seven the duke of cambridge has eight but against that big field in the sir james's palace stakes yeah huge field in the St James's Palace Stakes and you mentioned the exodus of horses leaving these shores well add another name to that list Hu Yamal who was the top lot at yesterday's Goffs London Eve of Ascot sale in the most beautiful surrounds in Kensington Palace Gardens the hammer came down at 1.2 million guineas for the Derby runner-up sold by Ahmad Al Sheikh and has joined the training team of Adrian Bott and the legendary Gay Waterhouse Johnny McKeever was the man that signed the docket and I spoke to the winning trio. Well, I can't not talk to you first, Gay, can I? Tell me a little bit about what attracted you to this horse, because you wanted him before the derby, didn't you? We certainly did. We put in a, a, a bid early in the piece, and they said, no, they want to go to the sale, and we kept bullocking on. Adrian, Johnny, we kept bullocking on. We just wanted... We thought he was exactly the right profile of horse that we need to win a Melbourne Cup. So, so what makes him the right profile of horse? What did you see in him specifically? First of all, he can run the distance. Secondly, secondly, he's raced against the best three-year-olds that England has to offer over a mile and a half. And thirdly, he's just a lovely big scopey type of horse. Adrian went down to Andrew Baldings. Oh, lovely physical type of horse. Um, I guess sort of his racing profile is he's lightly raced. Uh, he's improved on every occasion, every time that he's stepped out. Uh, and he's proven at the elite level. So uh, in terms of sort of trying to find those that calibre of horse, I guess they sort of rarely, rarely come on the market. So they're very hard to secure. Um, you know, we're in a great position with our racing industry in Australia. So it makes sense to be able to secure those elite horses to come down running in our, in our best races. And, and how quickly, realistically, could you get them on the track in Australia from here? Oh, look, they can come straight down and run off the plane. You know, yeah, they can stay and work in the quarantine facilities uh, here and, and, and in Australia as well. So they're, you know, they're, they're set up to facilitate that over the, over the carnival. Um, just how quickly we take him down to Australia you know, is just sort of what we've got to um, decide on now in the next 24 hours, what, um, you know, what his program will look like uh, you know, in, in, in the short term here and you know, whether that's a start at Ascot over this week. Um, or, or another run prior to coming down to Australia. So that's just sort of what we're going to finalise. 
Uh, no. So you're, not, you're, un, you're undecided as to whether you're actually going to run him this week? Yeah, look, we'll, we'll have a chat with um, Andrew, who's obviously in the best place to sort of advise us on, on that. Like, there's a huge attraction to to want to run the horse. Um, yeah, and obviously, it'd be hugely competitive wherever he went, but also got to, you know, look at with a race like the Melbourne Cup in, in mind um, and sort of what's the best path to sort of take him down there. Uh, but, yeah, he's been purchased by a syndicate of owners that are, you know, a number of them are here this week, so I'd love to... To, I'd love to have representation and a runner at Royal Ascot. I kind of get the feeling, and I know it's a bit of a rarefied atmosphere, that you could have sold him a couple of times over this evening already. Look, you know, those profile of horses, they're very, very attractive, you know. Um, yeah, the quality's there for everyone to see, and, you know, I'm sure a number of people want to be involved in, in, in that type of horse. Now, Johnny, you're busy today, and I don't yeah. want to distract no, no, you from I'm bidding done. on what you I'm nearly done. I'm nearly All right. done. Um, were you pretty confident that with the budget you had, you'd be able to secure this horse, or were there a few chances? I didn't know, I didn't know what budget I had. <laughs> you just kept uh, bidding to you told us to talk to Mr. Bo- Mrs. Waterhouse, and uh, uh, we decided that we kind of knew we'd need a million because we knew uh, it was whether we had to go a couple of bids after that. So uh, I'm only um, a bloodstock agent. I don't. I just do as I'm commanded to do by the bosses. But we've had a lot of luck as a team. We bought. I think. I have added it up the other day. I bought Gay and Adrian between the most five Group 1 winners. And uh, so, you know, we go well. We just won a Sydney Cup uh, with a lovely horse. So um, it's propitious, I think. Hopefully, he's going to be another star for the Waterhouse Pop team. And, uh, you know, if he wins the Melbourne Cup, we'll all be delighted. If not, he'll be a bloody good horse down there. I've got no doubt about that. Johnny McKeever there, and before that, Adrian Bott, and first, the inimitable Gay Waterhouse. Who are you, Mal, going down to win the Melbourne Cup? Yeah. Will he run later in the week? I wonder if they might not. I think, I've got to be honest, if I was someone who was linked to the purchase of a horse for 1.2 million, what's that, about 2.1 million Aussie dollars, I'm not sure I would want to run the horse three days later, just in case that horse got beat three days after I'd spent a a king's ransom on the horse that's what they would get beat but obviously there's always that risk I'd, I'd be thinking he had a hard race in the derby he must have had a hard race in the derby you've not bought him to win a king over the seven stakes you bought him to win a melbourne cup so i'd be taking him home and and looking at the bigger picture what about today then have you got a, a tip for me for this afternoon i'll give you two tips nick first tip is i the, the horse i'm most confident about here all week is nature strip in the king stand it's a biggie for you isn't it it really is a biggie yeah it's a biggie um and a less obvious one, but I think still has a, a big chance, is Rushoon in the Ascot Stakes. Desperate draw this year in 19, but won the race last year at 66-1. to 1. Um, And if ever you want to have a guide to what an eye-catcher in a handicap looks like, look at this horse's most recent outing at Haydock, when I think you would have watched that <laughs> and written down the words, next time. Can I ask you about your double that you had a few weeks ago because you recommended it to pod listeners the nature strip home affairs double in the king stand and the platinum jubilee of course if you get the first leg of it up you've just compromised the second leg of it because if nature strip goes round again and then does you on saturday <laughs> you're going to be absolutely livid yeah there is that um and that, that has that has dawned on me as well um i still just wouldn't be convinced that even if he wins today they'll pull him out on saturday mm. i think they will be mind the politics of it is i think there are politics there um coolmore own home affairs and i don't imagine that john magnier would be wildly enthused if he got done by next trip on on saturday but also um you spoke to chris on sunday i spoke to him for the racing post on friday for an interview and he was pretty clear there 
that this horse has a big job to do in Sydney in October. And for all that the, the racing here is offering handsome pots of money, the Everest offers a pot of money light years beyond anything that we can even think about. And I would half think that if they think we've got a Royal Ascot win in the bag, that's what we came here for. Do we want to jeopardise winning the Everest by giving them a second hard race here within the space of four days, particularly as we might win it with home affairs? So my hunch, and I might be wrong, is that they'll win and settle for it. Lee, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That's all from us. That was Tuesday, June the 14th, day one of what promises to be a wonderful day sport here at Royal Ascot. Back to do it all over again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.